As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. That on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. It's a great deal. You can even give it as a gift. Maybe you know somebody likes to listen to our podcast, but they don't like ads. Well, they can listen to these podcasts ad-free on The Athletic app if you have a subscription. So go get that subscription today. Even give it as a gift. Christmas is right around the corner. With me, as always, is my good friend Alex Spears. Alex, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Andrew, it all started last Friday night with an entertaining game between the first and second seed in the West at the time, New Orleans and Phoenix. New Orleans won 128-117, to led by Zion's 35 points. The 34th and 35th points were particularly memorable as they came after Zion did a 360 one-handed dunk in the final moments of the game after the outcome had been decided. Now, NBA fans flocked to Twitter to get mad at people who were mad about the dunk. It's unclear (laughs) if those people actually existed, but we were definitely mad at them. By the end of the week, New Orleans had lost hold of the number one seed to Memphis and currently sit at the second spot with an 18-10 and record. On Saturday, the Brooklyn Nets rested eight players in their game against the Pacers. No KD, no Kyrie, no problemo, because the Nets have a young fellow named Cameron Thomas, born yeah. in Yokosuka, Japan. Did you know that, Andrew? The 21-year-old Thomas scored 33 off the bench in the game, leading Brooklyn to a 136-133 win over Indiana. The Nets have won eight of their last nine and currently sit at fourth in the East, only a game back of Cleveland. Now, on Sunday, the Chicago Bulls and Atlanta Hawks engaged in a bizarre little game of basketball. Uh, The game went to overtime after A.J. Griffin fouled Derrick Jones Jr. with .4 seconds left in regulation. Derrick Jones Jr. could only make one of two free throws, so we went to overtime, tied at 110. Then in overtime, let's fast forward to the final two seconds. 
Trey Young hits a step back two pointer to give Atlanta a two point lead, lead change. Then, with 0.5 seconds left, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who was on fire during the game, fouled DeMar DeRozan on a three point attempt. DeRozan <laughs> went to the line and sank all three free throws, giving the Bulls a one point lead with 0.5 seconds left. Another lead change. Remember how we ended up in overtime with A.J. Griffin fouling Derek Jones Jr.? Well, the rookie made up for it and more by sinking a turnaround midair circus shot at the buzzer to give the Hawks the overtime win. That is three lead changes in the final two seconds. Unreal. The bad news is that uh, both of these teams might not be good, Andrew, because that was Atlanta's lone win (laughs) in their last six games as they've tumbled down the East standings to the ninth spot. And the Bulls, meanwhile, are 11-16 out of the play-in currently. Now, on Monday, the if-they-are-healthy Los Angeles Clippers were healthy for a night and made the most of it with an impressive 113-93 win over the league-leading Boston Celtics. Kawhi scored 25, PG had 26. Kawhi and PG have now played nine games together this season. Meanwhile, up the coast, Damian Lillard tied his own franchise record with 11 three-pointers in a 133-112 win over the Timberwolves. The Blazers and Clippers sit at 5th and 6th in the West Standings, separated by a half game. On Tuesday, the Sixers had a very nice win over the Sacramento Kings, 123-103. The game included an 80-point first half for the Sixers. Now, if you're wondering what the record is for most points and a half, it's not 80. It's 107, which is something the Suns did against the Nuggets in 1990. Uh, Now, remember last week how I was saying the Kings defense had been so good recently? That was true. I did not make that up. But listen, sometimes you have to take a break and the Kings took a little break. Everything's fine. The beam still works. For the Sixers, they've had a nice little run, winning three in a row, leading up to a Friday night ESPN matchup with the Warriors, a game that is suddenly less interesting because on Wednesday night, the Golden State Warriors lost by six to the Indiana Pacers, dropping them to one game under 500 at 14 and 15 and only a half game up on the Wolves in the 11th spot. More important than the loss was the shoulder injury Steph Curry sustained at the end of the third quarter, an injury that will keep him out at least a couple weeks over the last three seasons. So this is this is not including the season where they were not trying to win, where they really did tank. Just the last three seasons, the Warriors have played 30 games without Steph and have a 10 and 20 record in those games. Good luck. Finally, on Thursday night, the Utah Jazz continued their magical season. Every time you think this team is about to pivot, like when they lost 8 of 10, they do something wildly impressive. And this week, it was winning back-to-back games at home against the hottest team in the league, the New Orleans Pelicans. New Orleans came into Utah on a seven-game winning streak and leave town on a two-game losing streak. And on Thursday, it was Lowry Markinen again, scoring 31 points, including five threes and a perfect 10 of 10 from the line. But let's also give a shout out to rookie Walker Kessler, whose minutes Shots. have been creeping up over this recent stretch because of his disruptive defensive presence. The Jazz are 17 and 14, eighth in the West, with the fourth best point differential in the conference. What a week it was, Andrew. What a week. And I want to talk about some of those teams that you mentioned in a, in a little, little segment I like to call Good News, Bad News, or Bad News, Good News. Mm. So... I want to talk about three-point shooting. Obviously, three-point shooting is very important, as we all know. Go get the book spaced out by our very own Mike Prada. talks all about three-point shooting. But I wanted to look at the difference between team shooting percentage and opponent shooting percentage and just see what stuck out. Now, let's start at the bottom. First of all, the Spurs. 
Poor Spurs, who have a minus 10-point differential, have the lowest three-point difference in the league at negative 5.4, which is a massive difference. Most teams exist in like this plus or minus one yeah. you know, area, and they are minus 5.4. Is that because of their own shooting? It's their own shooting and opponent. It's oh, both okay. very bad. It's both okay. very, very bad. Um, so <laughs> the next one. And this might be bad news, good news for this team. The Minnesota Timberwolves have a minus five difference between their shooting and their opponent's shooting. So they're shooting terribly. Opponents are shooting awesome, which kind of summarizes how bad things have been for them. But there's nowhere to go but up. Like this is a like ridiculously bad number for the Timberwolves. You know, they're down there with the Thunder and the Hornets and the Rockets and the Spurs. I mean, it is it is that bad. So I think for them, this is bad news, good news. Like it's so bad that it has to it has to go up from here. It has to. And now with that injury to Curry, I mean, they're a half game back of them just to get into the play in. If they're it's not a, gonna make a run now, like they have to be ahead of the Warriors by the time Steph gets back. And they have to have yeah, like a cushion. Yeah, they have to. And you look at the Lakers and the Timberwolves as teams that like, oh, okay. Like they they need to make up some ground right now. Yeah. And with the Timberwolves, I just feel like the three-point shooting stuff has got to turn around one way or another. Another one that I thought was interesting and a team that is being talked about a little bit, the Toronto Raptors are 26 in this stat in the NBA. Negative 3.1. And I don't know what to think about this team. They have not been very good. They're currently 10th in the East. They're in the play-in. And you have teams behind them like the Bulls and the Wizards where it's like, yeah, I don't I don't really believe in those teams. So you don't, I don't think they're in danger of missing the play-in. But I also just don't know what they are or like what they're going to be moving forward. So like that's it's kind of I, I don't know if that that number is necessarily indicative of who they are and, and it probably is bad news good news for them like bad news that this number is bad but good news is like I think it'll get better and perhaps you know they they're closer to like the sixth seed than they are to the eleventh seed by the end of all this but I, I don't quite know what to think about the Raptors but I will give them a bad news good news for this particular segment. Yeah, Eric Corrine wrote a great article about their shooting um, because it has been really bad. We mentioned it on our other podcast that yeah. if you just go to Basketball Reference and sort by three-point percentage, you have to get down to the eighth guy. Or sorry, if you yeah. sort by three-point attempts per game, you yeah, have to yeah. get down to the eighth guy, which is Malachi Flynn, before you find someone who is shooting over 34%. And the guys who scare me are guys like Fred Van Vliet just because going back to the second half of last season when he had that injury, it hasn't really looked good since then. And Mm -hmm. so you wonder about that. Whereas guys like Gary Trent Jr., you assume at some point he's going to start shooting better. Um, But yeah, they are a very confusing team and definitely feel like one of those teams that's in, I I don't want to say pivot mode, but like they they have to do something. They have to to make a decision one way or the other on some of these guys going forward, figure out what they are and where they want to go next. Yeah, they're shooting 32% from three, but their their opponent shooting is in the middle of the pack. They actually rank 15th in opponent three-point shooting at 35.4. So I, I feel like 
they're not going to shoot 32.3% from three all season. <laughs> like that, that is what the worst teams in the league do. Like consistently, it's the worst teams in the league that shoot that poorly. And so I kind of have to believe that that will get a little bit better. So bad news, good news. So now let's let's move to maybe some good teams. Oh, I do want to talk about the Pistons because the Pistons rank like in the middle of the pack. They're 17th in this. And so they've performed very poorly all season. And their three-point shooting like indicates that like things have been okay. So I just wonder if like there's potential for things to even get worse in Detroit <laughs> as they continue to play. Um, so that that might be good news, bad news. Now, there's two teams in here that I just that are so fascinating. So the Grizzlies and Bucks are in the middle of the pack. The Grizzlies are a minus 0.8. The Bucks are a plus 0.1. So they're just kind of right there where their opponents and them are shooting about the same. With the Grizzlies in particular, like we know what it is. Like we know Desmond Bain's going to come back and he shoots like seven or eight three pointers a game and hits a really high percentage of them. And so that to me, I, a lot of people have been talking about the Grizzlies recently and they deserve it. But I think the league like might need to be put on notice that like this Grizzlies team who are, they're shooting 36% from three as a team, 14th in the league. That is going to go up when Desmond Bain gets back as long as he's healthy. And so we're talking about like a, a team that I that has performed very well up to this point. They're number one in the West, but they've got another gear. Like they're not showing all that they've got. And so to me, like that's like a sound like, oh, whoa. And then the same for the Bucks, who you know haven't had they had Middleton and they lost him again. They don't have I mean they're but Middleton will help a whole lot with that three-point shooting as well. Just having someone else that can score the basketball and shoot it well from three at a high volume. So those two teams, in my opinion, like this is like very interesting. This is like bad news, good news for them. Like bad news, like you're mediocre in this stat, but good news, like I think both will go up from here. Uh, yeah. And then, oh yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that that game on Thursday night, like that that felt like one of the biggest statement games of the season so far. Oh with gosh. Memphis winning 142 to 101 over the Bucks. And the Bucks didn't have Drew Holiday, but you know, yeah. you just mentioned that the Grizzlies don't have Desmond Bain. Um and this Western Conference which we've been talking about, I talked about it a couple weeks ago, like this feels like the perfect scenario for a team like the Grizzlies who can perform yeah. well even with guys out of the lineup. They bring their energy every single night. Like it's hard to imagine a scenario where they are not at least one of the top two seeds, if not the number one seed going into the playoffs. A couple more teams, Al, that are at the top that make make me want to give them a uh, good news, bad news for this for this one. One that's just like I think this is just accurate. It's the Celtics are a plus four point three in the stat. They're second in the league, and they're just shooting just ridiculous from three and their their defense is really good. And so I think that's like, yeah, they're kind of accurate. That's who I thought would be number one in the league. The number one team in the league, can you guess who it is? Uh, I don't think it's the team I'm about to talk about. So I'm trying to think who it would be. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's of, not uh, the team we're about to talk about. They're kind of uh, in the middle of the pack. The Cavs, I'll guess. The, the Cavs are, are ninth. They're a plus 1.8, which is like okay. good. And like feels believable, feels accurate. The best team in the league in this stat is the Philadelphia 76ers with a plus six, which feels like good news, bad news. Like, hey, 
things have gone about as well as they can go with the three-point shooting for this team. If you look at their three-point shooting, they're fourth in the NBA, 38%. And then opponent three-point shooting, they're the best in the league at 32%, mm. which feels unsustainable to me. And that's a that's a really high number, plus six. I mean, most teams are within one to two, positive or negative. When you have plus six, that's a lot. I mean, it's similar to like the Spurs where it's like, God, man, the Spurs really stink. And when you think about the best three-point shooting teams in the league, you don't think about the Sixers. Like you don't think about that team having like all these sharpshooters. You think about the Celtics. You think about not them. <laughs> you know, you think about even the Jazz or the Warriors or the Blazers. The Blazers are fifth in this stat. And you're kind of like, yeah, like the Blazers have a lot of shooting. You know, the Clippers even. The Clippers are seventh. Yeah, they have a ton of shooting. Um, the Pelicans, the Nuggets, those are all teams that have positives. The Suns, like all these teams, they're all positive. And you think, yeah, that makes sense. The Sixers, they feel more, and when you watch them, they feel like more of a middle-of-the-pack team and not this like crazy outlier number. So like, yeah. I think they get the ultimate good news, bad news, because I just I don't feel like that is necessarily sustainable. And then you look at them in the standings, and it's like, oh boy, like they're fifth in the East, but they're a game and a half back of, really a game back of being in the play-in. Right. And you, I don't know. And they, they've had all the injuries and they need to get Tyrese Maxey back. And there's a ton of context that goes into their record. And I get that. But also, like the three point shooting stuff has been on their side and it still hasn't netted them a ton of victories yet. Yeah. I think the, the aspect of that that I would be more worried about is the opponent three point shooting. Because if you look at their three point shooting, the guys at the top, you know, it's like Niang, Maxey, Tobias Harris, PJ Tucker, DeAnthony Melton, all those guys have shown themselves to be good shooters in their career. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe, you know, they're playing a little over their heads. Like Niang is shooting 44% when, but he shot over 40% before in the league. Good shooter. Yeah. So they have added, you know, bringing in PJ Tucker and DeAnthony Melton, they have improved their shooting overall, but yeah, being the best team, I guess you would say in three point defense on the one hand, some team has to do it. Like, somebody's just going to get lucky over the course of the season and maybe it's the Sixers, but yes, those things do tend to even out as the, as the season goes on. Yeah. It's just the one thing. It's just like one that doesn't match the eye test. Yeah. You know, and you just wonder if there's a fall coming for that, for the Sixers. So, but yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting and um, yeah, that's uh, that is the, the first edition of good news, bad news or bad news, good news. Well, I'm going to talk about a team that has been benefiting from some poor opponent three-point shooting um, and tell you why or why not that might matter. And it is a team that I didn't mention in the intro, but who deserves to be talked about, and that is the New York Knicks, who are currently on a five-game winning streak, vaulting themselves all the way up to sixth in the East. Uh, You know, one of the themes of the season that we keep coming back to is how much parity there is, how little separation there is between these teams, how one week... It can feel like the sky is falling. You got to make a change. They got to <laughs> blow it up. And then a team plays well for a couple games. And all of a sudden, the season outlook has done a complete 180. And there's perhaps no better example of that than what has transpired with the Knicks over the last couple weeks. Because yep. back on December 3rd, exactly two weeks ago when you were listening to this, the Knicks had lost six of eight in a brutal part of their schedule with their only two wins coming against OKC and Detroit. They had fallen all the way to 12th 
in Eastern Conference. The great Knicks Film School Substack had a post on December 3rd called When You Know You Know about coming to the conclusion that it was finally over for Tibbs in New York. The defense, Andrew, the defense of a Tom Thibodeau coach team had fallen all the way to 26th in the league ahead of only the Magic, Rockets, Pistons, and Spurs. The headline of the Posting and Toasting blog post that night was Trade Randall, Fire Tibbs. There was a breaking point, rock bottom type feel to that game against the Mavs on December 3rd. And now, 14 days later, everything has changed. The Knicks have won five in a row against Cleveland, Atlanta, Charlotte, Sacramento, and Chicago. They've jumped from 12th to 6th in the East. And a big part of that has been that 26th-ranked defense, which two weeks later has risen all the way to 12th in the league. And if you look at cleaning the glass, the Knicks have had the second-ranked defense in the league over the last two weeks. Now... If you want to be half glass empty on the Knicks, Andrew, it's very easy. Here are the three-point percentages for their opponents over this five-game stretch. 23%, 17%, 23%, 23%, 32%. In other words, the Knicks have benefited from a run of abnormally poor shooting from three by their opponents. Some of that is luck, and teams will likely shoot better against them at some point. But Andrew, let's be half glass full, okay? Because it hasn't okay. all been luck. Through December 3rd, the Knicks were giving up 20.4 wide-open threes per game per NBA.com, tied for the worst mark in the league with the Houston Rockets. In the last two weeks, that number has fallen to 14.8 wide-open threes per game, ranked ninth best in the league over that stretch. So yes, opponents have been unlucky. They can't hit anything. They were previously shooting 39% on wide-open threes, and during this stretch are shooting 26% on wide-open threes. But you also have to give credit for the Knicks, to or to the Knicks, for cutting the number of wide-open attempts by a third. And there might be an obvious reason for why that has happened, and it's the rotation changes that Tibbs has made after that Dallas loss. So as detailed in an article this week on The Athletic by Fred Katz, since the loss to Dallas, none of Evan Fournier, Derek Rose, or Cam Reddish have touched the floor. While Fournier had lost his rotation spot a while back, Rose and Reddish were still getting minutes until the last two weeks. And in their spot has been more minutes for Emmanuel quickly and the emergence of Miles Deuce McBride, who has gone from playing six minutes per game when he could get on the court to playing 20 minutes per game in this recent stretch, seeing the floor in every single game. In his article, Fred Katz describes the bond between McBride and Quentin Grimes, who are two second-year players who both pride themselves on their defense. This summer, they would practice playing full court one-on-one against each other pressuring each other the full 94 feet, (laughs) which sounds exhausting. And in this recent stretch, you've seen that kind of energy and intensity impact New York's perimeter defense. Mm -hmm. So now the question is, do you believe in these new look Knicks? How much do we value the very real rotation changes versus a streak of cold shooting from three by their opponents? Well, the opponent shooting is interesting because as, as Fred points out, over their next 21 games, They play two offenses currently in the top 10. Just looking at their next 11 games, six of which are at home, they have a very intriguing stretch that makes you wonder if this ride is just going to continue. Now, I'm going to read out this schedule, Andrew. Close your eyes and silently count wins and losses in your head. They've got Mm -hmm. the Bulls, Pacers, Warriors, now without Steph, Raptors, Mm -hmm. and Bulls. That leads into the Christmas Day game against the Sixers which is followed by Mavs, Spurs, Rockets, Suns, Spurs. 
I think that's a very doable stretch and a record of let's say seven and four in that stretch feels realistic, which would put them at 22 and 17. Listen, all I've wanted as an outsider looking in is for Tibbs to fully embrace the youth in New York that we keep being told is amazing and cannot be included in trades. It's like, okay, well fine, then play them. And to his credit, he had started doing that. You know, Obi Toppin was playing more before his recent injury. Uh, Quentin Grimes had got the starting job once he came back from injury. But with this latest move to Deuce McBride, it feels like we've finally gotten there. No more Fournier, no more Rose, no more Cam Reddish, who isn't old, but still. If the Knicks are going to break out of mediocrity, it's going to be with the young guys playing big roles for this team. And specifically, playing the defensive roles needed to live up to the idea of a Tom Thibodeau coach team. So, yeah, maybe this is just the latest team to go on a nice little run in this very weird season. But I do think the roster changes are meaningful. And so I'm interested to see if the Knicks can take advantage of this next stretch, which looks very doable. Yeah, it's such a weird thing with Tibbs. It's like he doesn't want to play the young guys, but he wants to play these old guys that can't defend. <laughs> you know, like it just. I know, like the so guys weird. are there. Like Quentin Grimes and Deuce Quentin McBride Grimes, are there. How much did we hear about Quentin Grimes all summer? And and maybe this it's all finally coming to fruition. You know, it's only been five. I games. hope it does. I hope it does. I hope like it he's does too. he's looked good. He's played really well. They both played in Oklahoma City and both looked really good a few weeks ago. And you you hope that they continue to play this way because I do think that it's going to net them something good. Like you just have better energy, you have better defense. Like it just it's kind of baffling because like the the top guys like Julius Randle's been awesome lately. RJ Barrett's had a decent season. Jalen Brunson has had a great season. Quickly's good. Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein, like, yeah, that's a great tandem. But, like, it was mind-boggling how much they were playing Reddish and Evan Fournier to start the season when you had yeah. those other two on the bench. It just doesn't make any sense. Something else that doesn't make any sense is this wild and crazy Orlando Magic team. Woo! We're going to talk about them right after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Andrew, it is time once again for the Wheel of Fandom, our weekly segment where we spin a digital wheel, it lands on a team, and we become fans of that team for a week. Now, as loyal listeners know, the wheel had a rough go of it last week. Sun's week was a disaster. We feared that the wheel had become a curse instead of a blessing, and this week was a test because the wheel landed on the Orlando Magic, who were 6-20 at the time of our spinning but guess what happened? The Magic went 3-0 this week to extend their winning streak to four games. The Magic had two wins over the Raptors and finished the week off with a win over the Hawks, a game in which the Magic scored a franchise record 50 points in the first quarter alone. The Magic are now 9-20, 13th in the East. According to Cleaning the Glass, Orlando has the 26th ranked offense and 24th ranked defense, but in the last two weeks, 
They've been the 12th ranked offense and the 17th ranked defense. Andrew, if our favorite team is the Magic, who is our guest today? We've got Jonathan Osborne, co-host of the Six Man Show, an Orlando Magic podcast on Blue Wire. Jonathan, what's up, man? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Um, I'm glad that your wheel chose us this week and not the last couple of weeks as we discussed before we started uh, recording here. But yeah, the last uh, (laughs) couple of weeks have been much more fun for the Magic relative to the rest of the season. And I'm super excited to be here. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's, it was a blast watching this team. This recent stretch has been some of the best basketball Orlando has played all season. Uh, What have been some key factors for this team breaking out of that long losing streak and finally stacking up some wins. I think part of it is, is getting Paolo Bancaro back. Um, you know, he, he definitely took a little bit of time to get back to form, but he's been incredible during this stretch, especially Franz Wagner as well. You know, he started the the season off struggling a little bit from behind the arc, but has kind of regained form as of late. And I, I quite frankly, I just think the team got sick of, of losing. Unfortunately, the, the, Focus and, and energy is something that we've had to question as of late with this team, but especially during this four game winning streak, you know, they, they figured some things out. Uh, they've kind of lifted their, their level of performance on the defensive end as well. And, you know, it doesn't hurt when, when shots are going in and, and the shots are definitely going in right now. I know you mentioned the 50 point first quarter against the Hawks. That was some of the most fun I've had as a magic fan in, in quite some time. So uh, yeah, we've got a, a matchup against the Boston Celtics tonight, Friday, as we're recording this. It would be great to you know turn that into five in a row, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit nervous about uh, tonight's <laughs> game, but we'll see what happens. Well, you mentioned a stat on your recent pod that I wanted to repeat because it's so wild. And the stat comes from at the Lando underscore on Twitter. Orlando's record over the last four seasons with Markel Fultz as the starter is 41 and 38. Orlando's record over the last four seasons without Fultz starting is 44 and 133. <laughs> How much of that do you attribute to Markel Fultz specifically versus simply having a capable starting point guard on the floor, which is something Orlando has struggled with in recent years? Well, for me, I have a I have a tough time really disconnecting those two parts because mm-hmm. for the you know better part of the last few years, Markel Fultz has really been the only functioning true point guard that we have on the roster. So the offense really just functions much better, you know, when, when Markel is around. He's a bit of a calming presence on the floor I would say so much of the start of the season before Markel came back we were relying on Paolo Bancaro and and Franz Bonner to bring the ball up and initiate the offense and I think those guys will get there eventually Uh, I think Franz has made massive improvements in that regard from the start of the season until now but you know Markel is much more of a a natural facilitator and and playmaker uh, for this team so um, Markel has been great. Jeff Weltman, the president of basketball operations, when talking about Markel before the season started is, you know, with him being out with the, the toe injury, they were going to struggle a little bit offensively. But when Markel Fultz comes back, he's kind of the guy that just snaps everybody into their correct roles. And I think that's what we're seeing now, especially since he's been back. Um, yeah, hearing that stat was a little bit jarring when you hear it, just how bad the team has been without him. but. It, Anybody with two eyes can watch the team and, and just tell that the team functions and the offense functions so much better with Markel on the floor for sure. Yeah, he's one of the yeah, more interesting if- players in the league because all of the backstory mm-hmm. with him. And then if someone's just oh, like box score watching, it's not like you look at Markel Fultz's stats and they jump out at you. You know, he's he's been pretty consistent like 10 and 5 over over this time. But the effect he had, which frankly, 
you know, before the season, we do a, a thing where we try to pick a surprise team that's going to win at least 10 more games than they're over under. And one of the reasons I picked Orlando because I believed in the Markel Fultz effect so much. And I knew he had that toe injury and it should have steered me away, but I pressed forward. But that was part of the reason why I had picked Orlando, just because I knew if Fultz is in there, I'm feeling pretty good about this team. Um, so yeah, I just find him like, I don't know if it's that he's one of the more underrated players in the league, but he's definitely one of the more, more under the radar players under the league in the league. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's easy to look at the box score with Markel. And like you said, it, it's it's not anything typically spectacular, but it, it's just one of those like gut eye test things. Like you have to trust what you're watching. And the, the team is just much better with Markel Fultz on the floor. He can get to his spots whenever he wants. Obviously, the the shooting is probably never going to be what it was projected to be coming out of Washington. Although, you know, he's shooting like 45% from three right now on, I think it's like one and a half attempts. So we don't want to dive too deeply into that. But um, but yeah, Markel Fultz, uh, it's it's not a secret to Magic fans that he, he's much better than perhaps like the the national perspective uh, of what Markel. You know, most people still think that he's a bust, and you know he was the number one overall pick, so you probably could argue that to some respect. But he's much better than I think the casual observer realizes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But where does Jalen Suggs fit in all in all of this as like a point guard? He's been injured and. He really actually started to play pretty well before he had the injury, but as far as like the future like point guard slot, like where does he fit in all of this? Yeah, I don't know that Jalen necessarily is a point guard. I know you know he played point guard at Gonzaga, obviously, and and that was you know his uh, projected role coming out of college for sure. Um, to me, he's he's much more of like a a combo guard. I think the for him to become a, a true point guard, he's really got to slow things down a little bit, and that's where you see Jalen have the most impact. I can typically tell within the first five minutes of a game by how Jalen is reacting to defenses and the pace at which he's playing, which Jalen we're going to get that night. If he's super sped up and and out of control, we're probably going to have a four, five, six turnover game from Jalen Suggs. If he's you know, really calm and, and again, under control and, and, and kind of slowing down the pace, then I'm like, okay, tonight's going to be a good Jalen game. We might get, you know, five or six assists, maybe two or three turnovers. Uh, but he's going to find a way to get things going offensively. In terms of where everyone fits in, I think it's it's a hard question to answer right now. Um, I think we're going to figure out over the course of the next couple of months with this Magic team whether they're going to really tank for Wemby or, or Scoot Henderson or, or one of those guys, or if they're going to try to get healthy and, and start competing. And if we're going to start to compete, that's where I think we'll see what the Magic are really prioritizing. And like, for example, RJ Hampton is a guy who has played pretty well this this year in limited minutes, but has just completely fallen out of the rotation for, let's call it non-basketball reasons. You know, the team did not pick up uh, his his fourth year option on his rookie scale contract, and he's just basically been benched uh, from that point. Even playing G League guards like Kevon Harris, um, you know, uh, Admiral Schofield has seen more minutes than than uh, RJ Hampton at times. And it's because the Magic are prioritizing guys like Jalen Suggs' development over, you know, winning basketball games at times. So Jalen, I really think he's the the shooting guard of the future for this team. Um okay. this team is not going to be an offensive juggernaut by any means, not at least currently constructed. It's going to be the defensive side of the basketball if this team wants to you know, improve and start to win games. And Jalen Suggs right now by far is our best you know, perimeter defender. We'll see what happens with Jonathan Isaac when he comes back. 
eventually. We, we still don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, but I'm yeah. still super high on Jalen Suggs. I, I would be lying if I told you outside of Paolo, Franz, um, outside of those two guys, what the future holds for any of the guys on the team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Franz. He's having a great sophomore season, averaging nearly 20 points per game and dominating the two matchups against uh, last year's Rookie of the Year, Scotty Barnes, this week. Uh, what have been the most, what have been the biggest developments for Franz this year uh, in year two? I would say, um, first of all, he seems so much more confident. I don't know how much attention you you all paid to, to Eurobasket and, and Germany's play during the tournament. Um, yep. but he, he really just took a, a, a massive leap. There is a, a clip that, that we tweeted out, um, uh, when they were playing Greece, where he has this, uh, 30 foot step back jumper right in Giannis's face to ice the game for Germany. Um, and I think that moved them into the semifinal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but just that, and then even during the preseason, uh, when the, the magic were kind of experimenting with Franz as the primary ball handler and and bringing the ball up each play and trying to get the team into their offense, he really struggled with that. I, I think it was Karis Levert who was just all over Franz in their preseason game against the Cavs, the last home preseason game that the magic had. And to, to me, it was a little bit of a red flag. Like, all right, we're going into the season without Markel Fultz and without a true point guard. And I know we're going to heavily rely on Franz. But over the course of you know four or five weeks, Franz has taken huge leaps in that regard. He's much more comfortable bringing the ball up now, even when he's being pressured or, or trapped. You know, moving the ball out of double teams. I, I think that's where he's taken the big, the biggest leap is just in terms of initiating the offense and and really being this team's number one option for long stretches. And he's been putting up big numbers and he's been relatively efficient. And like you said, he's only in year two. I'm super excited to see what Franz looks like four or five years from now. I, I'm really confident, and I feel like we might have a guy that could make multiple all-star teams in Franz Wagner. I want to go back a few months because this was a very important summer for Orlando, who had the number one pick in the draft. As everyone knows, all the intel was pointing toward Jabari Smith Jr. until the day of the draft. As a fan of the team, I'm interested in what that experience was like. Were you all in on Jabari in the run-up to the draft, or were you hoping the intel was wrong? I had a funny feeling this question was going to come up. I was thinking about this earlier today. As soon as we won the number one overall pick, you know, the the conversation even heading up to the lottery was that it's top heavy. It was three guys at the top: Jabari, right. Chet, Paolo Bancaro. And I had watched you know a, a decent amount of, of film and, and scouting reports on those guys. And at the end of the day, I just trusted our front office. With the intel around Jabari Smith Jr. and and you know what the film was telling me was that he was a guy that was going to struggle being a primary option in the NBA at least from day one. So when we were hearing Jabari Smith Jr., I told myself I was trying to maybe I was trying to convince myself that all right Jeff Weltman John Hammond they must be convinced that this guy is going to be able to evolve into a primary option a la. Kawhi Leonard or, or Paul George, right? Like yeah. we've seen those guys you know, uh, mm -hmm. tracks throughout their career. But I, I said, if they don't pick Jabari Smith Jr., then they think he's just going to be this kind of, you know, glorified three and D guy. I'm not trying to uh, box him in by any means. He's got a long career and I know he's been playing a lot better as of late. Um, but I very much went into draft night. I was going to be 100% okay with Jabari, Chet Holmgren or Paolo Bancaro. That being said, I thought it was going to be Jabari Smith Jr. When Woj tweets that morning that it's going to be Jabari Smith Jr., right. you're like, okay, it's going to be Jabari Smith Jr. And we're sitting in the Amway Center 
as the Magic are get, getting ready to make that pick, and then all of a sudden, Paolo Bancaro is in heavy consideration to be the number one overall pick, and just everything changed. This is one of those instances where I was very, very, very much happy to be wrong uh, because Paolo has just been phenomenal. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, now that you've gotten to see him play in the NBA, is there anything that surprised you compared to how you were feeling about him in the pre-draft process? Yeah, I I would say you know, I'm a I'm a devout North Carolina fan as well. So I got to watch oh, okay. you know, North Carolina versus Duke in, in the national championship game. And I cannot yeah. tell you how happy I was when they stopped going to Paolo Bancaro in the last few minutes of that game because as much as I love Brady Manick, he had there was nothing that he could give Paolo Bancaro on the defensive end, and he was getting whatever he wanted offensively. Um, I just didn't think he was going to be this good this quickly. I said multiple times before the draft that if you are looking for the most surefire, safest pick in the draft, it was Paolo Bancaro. I thought eventually he could be as good as he is now, maybe three or four years down the line. But I certainly didn't. Ex- I don't think anyone expected him to be this good this early. I would go as far as saying that you are a liar if you thought he was going to be this good this quick. Because um, just night after night after night, you look at the list and it's oh, first guy to do this since Kareem or LeBron right, James right. or you know um, Elgin Baylor, like whoever. It's just it's ridiculous every single night with this kid. Um, but yeah, I think the the biggest surprise to me has been the, the like the the free throw rate for Paolo Bancaro and just how hmm. consistently he's been able to get to the free throw line just night in and night out. You don't typically see rookies get the benefit of the whistle and get these star calls. And Paolo Bancaro has from, from day one, he's just such a physically gifted, imposing guy. Um, and he's really been able to take advantage, even if he's not shooting the ball well, particularly on that night from the floor, he's been able to you know pick up seven or eight points at the free throw line. So we can't let you leave without asking about Bol Bol, who's having a breakout year in his first season in Orlando. He's just an endlessly entertaining player and just so much fun to watch. Uh, when Magic fans discuss their young prospects, ranking them, putting them into tiers, how do they talk about Bol Bol? Is he considered to be a part of the core or are fans being a little bit more cautious with, with Bol? I think it's pretty split. There are people that are 100% on board with Bull Bull being part of the Magic's core moving forward. And then the rest of us, including myself, are, are a little bit more cautious. Offensively, Bull Bull is just everything that I could ever dream for and more from a player of that size, um, but just hasn't been able to, to put that together consistently for one reason or another. I think defensively, he has a long way to grow, and I think he can grow on that end. I'm not trying to put any kind of ceiling on Bull. I, I made the mistake of doing that before the season started. I didn't even think Bull was going to be in the rotation. And then we were at yeah. Orlando Magic Media Day, and every guy that you talk to is talking about Bull Bull. And you're he- hearing whispers from team employees like, hey, Bull Bull's, you know, he's been looking really good. And you're like, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure Bull's looks great. And then he just comes out of the gate and on a nightly basis, he's doing things that a person his size should not be capable of. And um, yeah, I, I don't want to put a ceiling on Bull Bull. I think Bull can um, really be as, as good as he wants to be. Um, if, if he can lock in, like he's a great rim protector at his size. How could you not be? But he just has some lapses right. on that end of the floor um, that I have some real question marks about whether he's going to be a, a long-term starter for the Magic moving forward. I certainly think he can be. He's got all the potential in the world. But uh, for now, we're just having a lot of fun with Bull. <laughs> Well, before we go on to trivia, the last thing I wanted to mention was that I was listening to your most recent podcast, 
And it was the first time I had heard the correct pronunciation of Chuma Okeke's last name. This is very important. This is I, very important. If you don't listen to anything else, listen to this part of the podcast, please. I like I, I try to pride myself on knowing how to correctly pronounce the NBA players' names. And yeah. every single source I ever heard, especially nationally, always said Okiki until I heard your podcast say Okeke. And then I looked it up on basketball reference and it's even there. It the the phonetic like spelling is there as OKK. So this is just a PSA for everyone. It's Chuma OKK. And I uh, thank you for letting me know. And I feel like that yeah. was one of the last guys in the NBA that I had been pronouncing their name incorrectly this entire time. So I'm going to pat myself on the back here because I that episode that you listened to, Alex, is probably the first podcast that we've had this year where I have pronounced Chuma OKK's name correctly each time that it was mentioned. <laughs> now, this is a, a bit of a funny story because prior to the season, you were not incorrect in saying Chuma Okiki. His entire life up until this season, he was pronouncing his last name Okiki. Now, he has family. He was? He, he has family in Nigeria that I, I believe okay. he reconnected with this summer, and they educated uh -huh. him on the fact that his name is not Okiki, that it is OKK. Oh, so when okay. we were at media day this year for the Orlando Magic, okay. before Chuma got started, you know, he made a, a statement that, you know, I, I learned some more about my, my background and my heritage this summer. My name is pronounced Chuma OKK. So you were not correct in that. But I do think the rest of the basketball world is is relearning that. And I'm as guilty of that as anyone. Every single yeah. episode up until the last one, I have said Chuma Okiki <laughs> and I had to correct myself immediately because it now is Chuma Okeke. Oh, okay. That's, that's that makes so much more sense. The yeah. context is very good because it didn't, because I, the Thunder PA announcer said Okeke earlier this season when the, when the Magic were here in town. And he is right on every pronunciation, like every single guy. And when he pronounced it that way, I was like, Okay, like he's always right. Like, what's going on here? I didn't know that context. That's great context for that. Sweet. Uh, that is very helpful. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City, with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Okay, we are now moving on to our weekly trivia show, Andrew versus the Beat. And this is the Orlando Magic Edition. Andrew's opponent this week, of course, is Jonathan Osborne, co-host of the Six Man Show. 
Now, Jonathan, how this works, I've come up with eight questions related to the Orlando Magic. Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. Then we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So to start us off, Jonathan, I just need a number between one and eight. I will go with the rookie of the year, Paolo Bancaro, number five to start. Question number five. The Orlando Magic have eight former lottery picks on their roster. That is tied for most in the league with these two teams. Now, you get one point per correct answer. <laughs> this is a very tough question. So uh, I've narrowed it down to 29. Obviously, the Magic are not the answer. Uh, but there are two teams in the league who also have eight former lottery picks on their roster. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. So a team that I know that has quite a few currently, I'm going to say and this is going to be so wrong. This is gonna, where I'm going to show that my my fandom really is strongly tied to the Orlando Magic. I'm going to say the Los Angeles Lakers. That is incorrect. Oh, Andrew, you goodness. have a chance to steal if you could get both of these, which would be very impressive. Hmm. What about the Pistons? That is also incorrect. Oh, really? The correct answers are Phoenix, uh -huh. which makes sense when you think about it. It's just all guys in the okay. late lottery. And then okay. Sacramento. Sacramento has eight guys oh, who are former lottery wow. picks. Dang. All right. The Pistons have a lot. Uh, they had seven. They I think there, there was like three teams oh, of seven. Okay. All right, Andrew, okay. the board is yours. Number one. Question number one. Paulo Bancaro is currently averaging 21.7 points per game. If he finishes above 20 points per game, he will be only the 16th player in NBA history to average 20 per game before his 21st birthday this hmm. player who made the all-star game as a rookie was the first player in nba history to average 20 per game before his 21st birthday who was it oh my gosh the first one ever the first one ever to average 20 per game before his 21st birthday there's been 16 in nba history hmm made the all-star team in his rookie season that was that was the only hint i could give you Okay, the first one to do it. Gosh, I don't feel like I know this. Any guesses, Andrew? You can just throw out a Shaq. Name. I don't know. Andrew, that is absolutely correct. It was yes. Shaquille O'Neal. Okay. Just looking at all my Shaq memorabilia over here. <laughs> and like that's the only name that is just reverberating in my mind. It was so hard to try to come up with a clue that just wouldn't obviously give it away. Because plus it's like another magic guy. So that's why I wanted to do it. But it's like, how do I describe yeah, like, Shaq without it obviously being Shaq? Yeah. My next like, guess was going to be, be like Michael, but I, I didn't know about the age, whether or not he was uh, old enough. Right. Or yeah. That was the thing. Because, yeah, guys used to stay in college yeah. longer. So it really could only happen yes. starting in the 90s. Um, okay. Right. Jonathan, back to you. The board is yours. I will go number two. Okay. Bull Bull currently All has right. 37 career three-pointers. That puts Bull Bull 34th all-time in three-pointers made by players seven feet or taller. Now, oh wow, we all know Dirk is the greatest shooting seven-footer of all time. He's number one on that list. Yep. But we're going to try to name the rest of the top ten. 
So again, this is top 10 oh my for three-pointers made by seven-footers all time. Now, how this works, Jonathan, you're going to give me a name. <laughs> then Andrew will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles. So can you think of a seven-footer who has made a lot of threes? Brooke Lopez. That is correct. He is number three all time. Which wow. is wild to think um, about Brooke Lopez coming into the league, how he played, and he is now third oh, all time in three pointers made by a seven footer. Mehmet Okur. <laughs> a bizarre first guess from Andrew. No, that is incorrect. Wow. Mehmet Okur is not in the top ten. The rest of the list, Channing Fry is number two. Yeah, that's the second name of my brain. Why did I say Mehmet Okur? <laughs> Larry Markinen. Number four. These are all recent guys. Oh, wow. Chris Stapps Porzingis, wow. five. I was going to have that. Mo Bamba. Andrea Bargnani, six. Giannis. Bargnani. Giannis. Wow. Is seven. Oh, Frank Kaminsky okay. is eight. Joel Embiid is ninth. And Spencer Hawes is ten. Oh, wow. So that's no two Bamba. points. Spencer Hawes. Yeah, Spencer Hawes. Uh, okay, we are tied up. Two, two. Andrew, the board is yours. Number three. Okay, you got to stick with me on this one, okay? So focus. Okay. One of the okay. stats on basketball reference is average distance of field goal attempts. So for example, Mitchell Robinson okay. of the Knicks has the lowest average distance in the league. His average field goal attempt is from one foot away from the basket. Mm -hmm. Did you know that the Orlando Magic are the only team in the NBA who do not have a single player who takes their average shot attempt from inside 10 feet? The only, I looked at every single team. The Magic are the only one. Every player's average shot comes from further than 10 feet away. I don't love that. Who has, who has the lowest <laughs> average shot attempt on the Magic, Andrew, at 10.2 feet? So who's shooting oh closest gosh. to the basket on the Magic? Oh, I feel, I feel like there's an obvious answer to this, but I don't mm, who's that? think it's correct. Oh, I'll just say it. Wendell Carter Jr. That's a great guess, Andrew. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. takes his average shot from 12.3 feet away. Jonathan, you have a chance Gosh. to steal. That was going point. to be my guess as well. Ooh, this is going to be... It's going to be a weird one. This is going to have to be a <laughs> risky be one. Uh, because I feel yeah, like this player sure. takes almost all of their attempts in the restricted area. I'm going to say this is going to be wrong. I'm going to a wild card here. Kevon Harris this year. Kevon Harris, a very good guess. He is at 10.7. He is second tied with Markel Fultz. But number one overall is the guy we just talked about. Bull Bull. Oh, I knew it. I should have went with my guts. Oh. I was trying to get too cute there. <laughs> uh, okay, Jonathan, uh, the board is yours. Let's go uh, Jalen Suggs, number four. Okay, there have been 21 two-man lineups to play at least 200 minutes together this season for the Magic. This duo has the highest net rating at a plus 2.8. So I'm going to ask you to name that duo. You get one point per correct name, and I'm going to give you a hint. And the hint is you will never guess who it is. So that is the hint. <laughs> so this is the best two-man duo on the Magic. Oh no. The best two man duo on the magic. Never going to guess it. I might as well just guess something really bizarre. Let's say Wendell Carter Jr. and Admiral Schofield. That is bizarre and it is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. 
Who would you like to throw out there? What about Franz Wagner and Terrence Ross? Franz Wagner, Andrew, that's too obvious. No, you did get one name, but you don't get the point because you said him second. It is Mo Bamba yeah. and Terrence Ross as the best two-man duo on weird. the magic. It is very weird. Interesting. Uh, what's the deal? What's the deal with Terrence Ross? I like, give give me the deal on Terrence Ross because when he was in Oklahoma City, he played for like two minutes, and then they he started played two minutes, and they sat him. Like, what's going on there? That Terrence Ross. Um, I don't. I don't think it's that recently, but he, I know he was dealing with an illness. That wouldn't have been the Oklahoma City game. I don't remember exactly what happened that night. I think he had some kind of injury if I, if i'm not mistaken okay. that night but terrence okay. ross it's um yeah any given night you never really know how much he's going to play right now they're certainly prioritizing younger player development um when gary harris comes back it gets even tougher but uh yeah terrence ross yeah. has been uh he, he's been a joy to watch this season because he's been much more engaged than last season but the the lineups in, until we get healthy on a, on a nightly basis, especially with the bench, you, you just never know with the magic right now. Hmm. Uh, Andrew, did you know that according to Cleaning the Glass, Terrence Ross has mm-hmm. the best on off numbers on the team at oh, plus eight, interesting eight. Huh. Um, huh. Okay, whose turn was it? I think it's yours, Andrew. Okay, number six. According to HispanosNBA.com. The Orlando Magic are the tallest team in the league with an average height of 202.8 centimeters, which you know what that (laughs) converts to. That is more than four centimeters taller than the shortest team in the league. Now, I'm going to give you four NBA teams. One of them holds the title of shortest team in the league, according to EspanosNBA.com. You will tell me who is the shortest. The teams are the Blazers, Grizzlies, Clippers, or Lakers. Who do you think is the shortest team in the league according to EspanosNBA.com? Blazers, Clippers, Lakers, Grizzlies. Was the fourth team? Grizzlies. Okay. Hmm. Clippers. That is incorrect. Jonathan, you have a chance uh, to steal. I'm going to guess the Blazers. That is who I would have thought, but it, it's also wrong. It is the <laughs> Los Angeles Lakers. Wow. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. And I didn't believe it, but if you go to basketball reference and sort by height, there's a lot of short guys on that team, as it turns Pretty out. Short. <laughs> um, okay. Jonathan, it is still tied 2 2 with two questions left Gosh. seven or eight. Let's go number eight. The last time Jonathan Isaac played NBA basketball was August 2nd, 2020, in a game against the Kings. How many players in that game, including Isaac, are still on the Magic roster. So you don't have to tell me who the players are. You just have to give me a number. Did they play in that game or they were just on the roster? Uh, They were just on the roster. Just on the roster. I believe the answer is three. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one point. Okay. All right. Tell me the question again. So this is the last time Jonathan Isaac played basketball. It was in the bubble, August 2nd, 2020. Yeah. How many players in that game, including Jonathan Isaac, are still on the Magic roster? Oh, my gosh. Four. I have no idea. You do have no idea. The correct answer, would you believe it, is five. Five. Terrence Ross, Markel Fultz, Jonathan Isaac, Gary Clark, and Mo Bamba were all on that team. Gary Clark is no longer on the Magic. 
So it is four. You shouldn't have said that because that means Andrew. I know, yes. but I'm a man of honor, and I forgot that you said including Jonathan Isaac. I knew it was Terrence Ross, Mo Bamba. Oh, um, wow. Markel Fultz. I missed it. I, You know what? We did trivia on our show a while back, and I lost because of a reason exactly like this because I don't know how to listen. So, <laughs> but I'm a man of honor. Andrew was correct. It was four. I don't know. Why did I think... Oh, you know who I had him confused with? Gary Harris. The other, yes. the other Gary. <laughs> yes, the other Gary. You're just counting Gary's. You're just out oh, here counting man, Gary's. I was like, how did I mess that up? It's Gary's. I always looked at the <laughs> Gary. The Gary's. Uh, Andrew, I'm not going to give you any points for that. Um, in fact, what I'm going to do? Surprise! I'm going to give you both. I'm going to give you both one point. All right. Uh, Jonathan gets a point <laughs> for being honest. What is this? Andrew gets a point for uh, being right, but not really. Uh, well, it was right. But anyways, okay, <laughs> final answer. It all comes down to this, Andrew. You get first uh, dibs. You get first dibs. You can win it right here. Okay? Okay. Rudy Gobert has been first or second in screen assists per game since they've been tracking the stat until okay. this season. Currently atop the screen assist leaderboard is Wendell Carter Jr., who is tied with this center for most screen assists per game. Oh my gosh, Al. Just gotta think of a center, Andrew. <sighs> Steven Adams. Wow, Andrew, that is correct. And at the buzzer, Andrew gets the win. Steven Fair Adams. Enough. Very yes. impressive. I deserve to lose. Yes. I deserve to lose because I don't know how to listen. Those were very <laughs> difficult questions, Alex. I commend you, sir. Thank you. Well, I feel very embarrassed that uh, I, I, I mixed up Gary Clark and Gary Well, Harris. you and I are both embarrassed <laughs> on the same question, so we can just share that embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I uh, came on, I thought, like, man, man, these are going to be softballs. Oh, yeah, like, just, you know, who's the no. all-time leading scorer in Magic history? Those kind of things. And I was going to wipe the floor with Andrew, but Alex <laughs> had, uh, you know, different plans in mind. No, Alex, Alex is always, it's always <laughs> ridiculous. It's always so good. I like it. Um, Go check out the go check out the six man show. It's a really great podcast about the Orlando Magic. If you're into bowl bowl, you should go check out this podcast. If you're also into pronouncing Chuma OKK's name correctly, this is a great podcast for you as well. Jonathan, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, Andrew. That was Magic Week. The wheel got back to helping out teams in the NBA. Three and O week. Let's see if we can do it for another team going into Christmas. Who is it going to be? Our Wheel of Fandom team this week is... <laughs> the Washington <laughs> Wizards, who have lost eight in a row and who, before the pod, <laughs> before we recorded, we were talking about teams we could get, and I said, you know, as long as it's not the Wizards who have been so bad it's like one of the first teams were like, if we could just be anybody but these teams, which would it be? And I was like, yeah, the Wizards was like one of the first ones. But you know, this actually oh means we're going to get two weeks of Wizards because we're going to do yeah. a Christmas episode next week, which won't be a full episode. Yep. So yep. that means we're going to get Josh Robbins in two weeks. I was going to say, the only saving grace for the Wizards is that Josh Robbins covers the Wizards and he is uh, he's a slam and jam icon, honestly. Fan favorite. So. That's uh, that's that's the only silver lining here when it comes to the Washington Wizards. And hey, who knows? Maybe the wheel will do 
do some uh, Orlando Magic stuff to them too. And that's true. That would be great. This is arguably an mm. even bigger test for the wheel than the Orlando Magic were last week. Yeah, it really with is. all their injuries. Some really, really weird basketball going on in Washington <laughs> as of late. Uh, please leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, uh, just like this one from Danny Kip says the best pod of the week. You might have forgotten T.J. McConnell uh, about T.J. McConnell because he started at Duquesne and then transferred to Arizona. Mm. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Just adding more <laughs> insult to the uh, <laughs> Hey, as long as there's not more Arizona Wildcats out there. Did anyone write in with right. more Arizona guys there in the league? <laughs> no. Okay, good. No, just a, just a little T.J. McConnell fun fact. Um, maybe we'll get some more Garys. Maybe people uh, tweet us out, tweet us out some Garys if you got them. So uh, thanks so much for listening to our show. Uh, we will not be back next week. Well, actually, we will, but only in the form of the Athletic NBA Show Christmas Special that's going to drop on Friday. It's going to be an absolute delight. I believe we will have Je Skeets joining us uh, for trivia for that specific episode. So be sure to tune in for that. Uh, So we will talk to you guys again next week.